Hello, welcome to Secrets of Saturn. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. This is going to be part two of an interview with Wayne McCroy, who just released a brand new book called The Alchemical Tech Revolution. Wayne, welcome back. Thanks, Jason. Good to be back. All right, let's do a quick recap of what we went through in part one with the seven hermetic principles. Okay, essentially uh, what we went through in the and part one was the uh, frame of reference here to go by in order to understand how exactly alchemy plays in with the uh, technological aspects of these things. And uh, what we did is we just listed off uh, and discussed in detail some of the more commonly known uh, hermetic principles. Let's go ahead and uh, we'll just go through them. For a brief recap, uh, the uh, first hermetic principle we discussed was called the principle of mentalism. And basically, this principle entails the concept that everything stems from thought. The second principle that we discussed was called the principle of vibration. And this principle states that everything stays in a constant state of motion or change. Think of this in terms of frequency and vibration. The third hermetic principle we discussed was called the principle of correspondence. And most of your listeners would probably be familiar with this. It just encapsulated in the phrase, as above, so below. So basically, this, this principle just kind of codifies that uh, everything that happened in a macro scale happened in a micro scale. The fourth principle we discussed was called the principle of polarity, and this one is kind of glaringly obvious for most people. This is the uh, the concept of duality in all things. Everything has an equal and necessary counterpart to it, white and dark, black and white, up and down, and people kind of understand that concept pretty well. The uh, fifth hermetic principle we discussed was called the principle of rhythm, and this principle basically states everything has a flow or a tide. This kind of uh, indicates that everything has a cyclical nature and that you could make predictions based on the cyclical nature of things. The sixth principle we discussed was called the principle of cause and effect. People are pretty familiar with the principle of cause and effect. Every cause has its effect and every effect has its cause. And also in that, we discussed a little bit of something called retrocausality, which is actually the effect happening before the cause, which has been uh, borne out in some scientific experiments and shown to be possible. The seventh hermetic principle that uh, we discussed in the last one is called the principle of gender. And this one closely relates to the uh, principle of polarity. This one simply states everything has a masculine and a feminine aspect to it. And this kind of relates more to a, a spiritual nature of things more so than anything else, I would say. And it's also one that they've been tinkering a lot with with our society as far as the uh, social engineering aspect of it. So uh, from there... I think we could go ahead and step forward and I'll identify the uh, seven technology trees that I see as being alchemical technologies. And I think we could go ahead and state that alchemy basically was originally intended to be a good thing for people. It was intended for people to coexist with nature and coexist with natural law. And the elite have actually hijacked this whole uh, system of alchemy. And their plan with it is a total inversion of natural law. And that's that's what these technologies are, are getting towards. So we'll go ahead and we'll just uh, start by listing off some of the uh, technologies that I've identified as being alchemical technologies. And we'll discuss their importance. And how they affect our society, too. Absolutely, yes, how they affect our society and what we could look for in the future with them. So the first one I'd like to discuss, and this one's kind of a foundational one for uh, a lot of my research. Uh, this one is quantum computers and quantum system states. Now, uh, quantum physics is kind of a, a scary animal for a lot of people. They really get nervous looking at it because it's 
a lot of the aspects and a lot of the characteristics of it seem unfamiliar to people because we we exist on a macro scale and we're used to seeing the laws of physics that we're used to seeing. And quantum physics just totally has a, a lot of different concepts to it that, that people have a hard time absorbing. So the the one of the important things we're we'll look at is the uh, quantum computer. And I'm sure most people are probably saying, wait a minute, a quantum computer, does that even exist? I mean, a lot of people have been heard talking about them, but uh, most people tend to think that there's no such thing as of yet. But there does exist one quantum computer. Now, this one is put out by a company called D-Wave, and this is called an adiabatic quantum computer. And essentially, the term adiabatic is defined as occurring without loss or gain of heat. So basically, this thing uses very, very little energy because energy would give off a lot of heat, as I'm sure you're familiar. And how this this works, it uses a device, a, a cooling mechanism. This cooling mechanism that the, this quantum computer uses, it's called a pulse tube dilation refrigerator. And this thing actually cools the ambient air around the processor to near absolute zero. It, it cools it down to... Uh, it works out to like negative 459 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that, hmm. which is about 180 times colder than interstellar space. And you're talking, this is pretty cold in there. And <laughs> the reason they do this is because traditionally, in order for quantum effects to be able to take place, they need these ultra-cold temperatures. That's why they use all these, these coolants and stuff for quantum physics. So basically, that's what the term adiabatic means. So when we say it's a, an adiabatic quantum computer, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about this uh, little refrigeration unit in there. Now, is there any explanation on how the computing actually works, though? Like a traditional computing system is a switching system uh, of binary off and on, ones and zeros. Do they actually explain all at all how the, uh, the actual computations get done in a quantum computer? Basically, uh, the difference between a quantum computer and a traditional computer is a traditional computer operates with a part called a bit. And this bit could either represent as a one or a zero. Whereas in a quantum computer, a quantum computer uses a part called a qubit, which is a shortened, shortened term for a quantum bit. And uh, how this quantum bit works, it uses a quantum concept called superposition where it could be both a one and a zero at the same time. So you're talking about unparalleled computational speed with a quantum computer as compared to a, a regular computer. This allows for it to calculate things a lot faster and it could calculate things simultaneously like that a traditional computer wouldn't be able to do. So in essence, a quantum computer could solve all kinds of problems that a traditional computer would just be unable to do. These quantum computers, they take advantage of a lot of spooky quantum physics. <laughs> so uh, they have a lot of different capabilities than your standard computer. And essentially, uh, next big step in artificial intelligence is through use of these quantum computers because of the processing speeds and the abilities that they do have. In some cases, these, these computers could be up to 3,600 times faster than your standard regular traditional computer. It could solve a lot of problems a lot faster than your traditional computer. These have also been indicated in the use in coding and stuff like that and encryption, encryption technology. They're saying that their next generation D-Wave computer will probably be able to break all encryption. You're talking with this thing, nobody's data is is safe anymore. And that's, that's just what they're saying in public. I, I really honestly think that they already have this type of a system around that will work, that could break all types of encryption. I mean, we may never know in the public sector for sure, because a lot of their you keep classified if they do have it. Now, are any uh, major companies, say like Google, using these quantum computers yet? I'm glad you asked that. Well, yes, they are. <laughs> uh, some of the major uh, 
major places using these computers are, uh, here's a couple of big ones for you. First one we'll talk about is Lockheed Martin. They got one of these first generation computers that they've been using. Now, for anybody that's not familiar with Lockheed Martin, that's, that's a big military government contractor. Lots of aerospace stuff. Yeah, Lord only knows what they're using this thing for. Another place that has it is USC, the University of Southern California. They actually have one at a research center there that's available for use for different researchers. To be honest, I'm not sure what the primary function of that one at USC is used for. Another one that has it, though, and now here's an interesting one for you. Now, NASA and Google have a joint venture with one of these, and it's called Quantum Computing AI Lab. And this is basically... uh, they're using this quantum computer to try to develop artificial intelligence. And this is NASA and Google in a joint venture. So, I mean, you're talking the, the capacity of this thing to collect data is unprecedented. Well, let's also point out the fact that Google is supposed to be, it's a very major corporation, but an independent corporation. But NASA is actually, in fact, chartered under the Department of Defense. So this is a joint venture between the government and a private company. Right. And I would suspect that any. Uh, information you would try to garner about this program is probably classified, I would say. So I don't think you'd have much uh, success in getting any information about them as to what they're doing there. But yeah, that's another interesting one. Another interesting one I see is there's actually Purdue University has one of these quantum computers sitting there. And they're using this one for a project called Sentient World Simulation. Now, if you've ever seen the movie Minority Report, have you ever seen that movie, Jason, or are you familiar with it? No, I've seen it. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Well, think about that on steroids. That's essentially what this thing is, this sentient world simulation. They're using this quantum computer. They have actually in the quantum computer, they've constructed an exact model of our real world that we live in in real time, running real data through it. And they could pretty much simulate in this system any type of scenario they want on a small scale. Like they could they could narrow it down to like a specific neighborhood or or even like a specific person. They could do all kinds of simulations with this. Now, the Department of Defense has a little bit of a say in how this thing is being used, too. And a lot of their work that they're actually doing is classified. You, you can't see some of what they have going on with that. And it makes for some interesting situations, <laughs> but they use it to basically to map out in real time simulations of any type of, say, military drills they want to run or like military operations. What they could do is they could they could put this information into this computer and run a simulation and they could actually run it at three times normal speed or however many times normal speed that they want to to see what kind of results will happen. And it makes a, a pretty uh, accurate prediction of what the outcome of certain actions and operations will be. Now, it's interesting you bring that up because on the show I just did with Crow, I actually made mention that perhaps all these insane media events, like all these shootings and everything that are going on so often now, perhaps they're using them to tweak these computers to get their algorithms more and more accurate all the time. Like how how accurate was the computer spitting out the reactions of the actual human populace kind of thing? You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think you're really onto something with that. Because uh, I I could see uh, this actually being a tool for use in that effect. And we'll talk about that a little more later. And in fact, we could actually uh, link it in right to the next one right now. Another one that has one of these D-Wave computers, a U.S. intelligence agency that D-Wave declined to name. Okay, they (laughs) they listed that there's a U.S. intelligence agency has purchased one of these and they declined to name what this intelligence agency is. And I have good reason to believe that the uh, intelligence agency that has it is uh, the NSA. And more specifically, I believe it's in their new threat fusion center in Bluffdale, Utah. 
Yep, exactly what I was thinking. So, with that being said, that really makes you wonder a little. Another heavy hitter that has one of these computers is CERN. Are you familiar with CERN? Very much so, yes. That's the European Nuclear Research Center. Biggest particle accelerator. Yep, the Large Hadron Collider. And they have one of these D-Wave computers hooked up to the collider to collect the data and do whatever it is they're doing there at CERN, which they're very nebulous about. They'll tell you they discovered all these different particles and, and this and that. But there's more going on at CERN than what we're being told. So we'll move on from there, though. We'll just let that one rest for now. Another one that I've uh, found out and discovered that has one of these D-Wave computers is a company called Temporal Defense Systems. And this is a cybersecurity firm in Virginia. And they're also a government contractor. My speculation is that they have this basically for encryption purposes. So that's my speculation as far as that goes. Now, it's the interesting thing about these quantum computers is all these different agencies and companies have these quantum computers. I have reason to believe, and I don't have proof of this per se, but my conjecture is that all these computers are quantum entangled so that they share information at all these different points. This AI lab that NASA and Google have is sharing information with the sentient world simulation at the Purdue University, which is also correlating this information through the Bluffdale, Utah Threat Fusion Center and relating this information back to CERN as well. I really think these computers are all quantum linked. And if they were, I mean, it would be definitely beneficial for that. The computing power would be enormous. As far as uh, in terms of what these computers actually do, though, let me go ahead and I'll read you a quote from uh, Jordy Rose. And he was one of the founders of D-Wake Corporation and also the uh, chief technical officer for quite some time there. Okay, this is for Jordy Rose, and he said this. He was one of the founders and the uh, chief technical officer of D-Wave Incorporated. And this was at the Idea City Tech Conference from June 20th of 2013. Now, I quote him. He says, in a quantum computer, that device, and he's referring to a qubit, can be in a strange situation where these two parallel universes have a nexus, a point in space where they overlap. And when you increase the number of these devices, qubits is what he's talking about, Every time you add one of these qubits, you double the number of these parallel universes that you have access to until such time when you get to a chip like this, and he's referring to D-Wave's 512-qubit Vesuvius chip, which is about 500 of these bits. You have something like 2 to the 500th power of these guys living in that chip. So the way I think about it is that the shadows of these parallel worlds overlap with ours. And if we're smart enough, we can dive into them and grab their resources and pull them back into ours to make an effect in our world. Now, what do you think about that, Jason? Yeah, that's, uh, that's one hell of a statement. <laughs> when you have serious scientific minds talking about reaching into parallel universes and pulling out resources, it's time to, uh, to listen to what these guys are saying. Yeah, wake up and pay attention, folks. <laughs> Here, I'll give you another. This one's a lot shorter of a quote. This is another gentleman who's associated with D-Wave, and he said this in a TED Talk in 2005. He said, quote, his name's David Deutsch, by the way, and he said, quote, quantum computation will be the first technology that allows useful tasks to be performed in collaboration between parallel universes. Hmm. So when you have serious scientific minds talking about reaching into parallel universes and extracting their resources... I think we need to start taking this seriously. This isn't science fiction. This technology exists and is in use right now. These quantum computers, what they're capable of is just kind of scary. I mean, if left unchecked, 
who knows what they could accomplish with these things. I know they're working on artificial intelligence is one of the big things they're, they're really pushing in and working on with this. And also, as we alluded to earlier, CERN has one with the Large Hadron Collider. Now, I believe that they're actually using the quantum computer in conjunction with the particle accelerator to try to effectuate quantum effects on a macro scale. And I think that's one of the serious experiments that they're doing there at CERN. It's only conjecture. I mean, I can't find anything in their written literature that says that's what they're doing. But to my eyes, there's been a lot of weird stuff going on at CERN, which brings us to our second technology that I've identified as an alchemical technology, and that's uh, particle accelerators and super colliders. If we want to step into that one. Yeah, let's hear that. Okay. I did a, a pretty good investigation of CERN because that's that's home to the world's largest particle accelerator, the uh, Large Hadron Collider. It's probably one of the most famous ones, too. It's the, the one everybody thinks of when you, you mention something like that to them. When you look around the campus at CERN, what's one of the things that stands out to you? Have you ever looked at any pictures of CERN's campus? Well, yeah, because don't you have to do some sort of dance to Lord Shiva before you get to go in the front door? Yeah, you're you're hitting right on what I'm uh, what I'm getting at here. They they have a statue of Shiva there at CERN. Now, uh, Shiva is the god of destruction. So, uh, what what does that tell you? Why would a serious scientific organization have something like that sitting pretty much like right on their front lawn? You know, for the world to see. This is the first thing you see when you get onto the CERN campus. Well, this is once again the melding of the the whole occult thing with with high end science. You know, this is what we see from the the elite. You know, they, that's what they do. It's like spiritual science, I guess you could call it. It's creepy stuff. It is creepy stuff. And when you look at CERN's logo and realize that it's actually a 666, uh, that, that, that kind of tells volumes too, doesn't it? Yeah, it says something. <laughs> and probably more than their Iron Maiden fans. Yeah, it may be. <laughs> Maybe. But yeah, and if, if you just look at some of the things that have gone on at CERN here just recently, it was just a big news article not long ago. Do you remember seeing that uh, they did some kind of a mock human sacrifice on the campus there. Yes, yes, I did see that. It, it was some of the scientists who work there and live there. And we've never heard anything more about it again. Why, why are they doing stuff like that? You know, it just doesn't make sense that uh, serious scientists working at places like this would be in any way involved in something occult like that. I would definitely conjecture that it has something to do with some sort of generative principle behind these rituals that they're doing uh, in conjunction with what the quantum computers are doing. Uh, I would I would think so. Uh, basically, uh, a lot of people have had the fear that they're trying to open some kind of portals or something at CERN. And most of the public will actually view what we call magic as being utter nonsense, like most most of the occult sciences and things that we term magic. Most of the public views that as being nonsense, so they don't take this kind of stuff seriously at all. But apparently some of these uh, scientists at CERN take this stuff seriously, and that should speak volumes to people. There have been really a lot of odd things that have happened at CERN. They go out of their way to do creepy occultic things there. They actually hosted and, and did an actual film, their Symmetry. Have you heard of their film called Symmetry? It's, it's, a, it's a noir art film. No, no. Now that one I have not. It's a dance opera, and they film it right inside the Large Hadron Collider in the world's largest machine where, where you don't want to get any kind of contamination in there. They actually filmed this <laughs> in the collider, okay? And it's a very creepy, occultic-looking dance, and it looks like a ceremony. It really does. It looks like a ritual ceremony. And what was the name of it in case folks want to look it up? 
called Symmetry. It's right on CERN's homepage, Symmetry. And for some reason, they seem pretty obsessed with, with the arts as far as uh, with being occultic-looking artwork. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So uh, hmm. they, they seem a little too focused on that for a serious scientific organization. Well, this harkens back to the whole elite thing where we always find them involved in some sort of creepy occultic behaviors, you know, the, this, this mystery Babylon religion and all that sort of thing that we find Absolutely. the higher up you go on the pyramid, they're involved with this stuff. Right. And the, this uh, film, Symmetry, draws a lot of parallels to uh, – I'm sure you've probably seen – it was a bizarre story that came out uh, back in 2016 when they opened the uh, Gothard Base Tunnel. Do you remember the Gothard Base Tunnel opening? Yes, yes. I... That's there in Switzerland. It's only – I forget. It's maybe 100 miles from CERN. But uh, they did this really bizarre occult opening ceremony to that and a lot of government dignitaries and everything there yeah i saw that and this film kind of draws a lot of parallels to that from what i've seen and researched i think they relate some way or another the two films yeah i wouldn't doubt it honestly it's just kind of strange that they uh on the campus of cern they do all these occult things like it's it's really bizarre so i mean that kind of draws into question what are they really doing there They've also had a lot of, uh, when they fire up the, the collider, they've had a lot of strange things happen when they fired up the collider, the Large Hadron Collider. Just for a, a little bit of an idea of, of what this thing is and what it does, when they fire up this Large Hadron Collider, it generates a magnetic field 100,000 times more powerful than that of the Earth. Magnetic fields? Do you think there's something to magnetic fields, Jason? Do you think uh, they, they could affect things in some way or another? Very much so, because electromagnetic fields pretty much... Uh, I lean more heavily towards the electric theory of the universe than anything, if there is any real reality and validity to that kind of science, just because that's the way things seem to really work. Uh, it ties right in with frequency and all that. Absolutely. And uh, they're firing off this thing, and it's creating a magnetic field 100,000 times more powerful than that of the Earth. So uh, when they've done this, they've had things happen where strange weather patterns form over the collider. They've had strange weather anomalies happen. And they've also had things happen inside the actual the tube of, of the collider. There's actually been pictures taken of faces in, in the collider when it's been active. And whether this is pareidolia or something else going on entirely, who could say? But, I mean, there's actual photographs on the Internet if you go out and look. These are pictures that were taken inside the Large Hadron Collider while it was active because people started seeing faces and stuff moving around in there. And that just sounds a little creepy to me. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. I'm going to look that up. I was not aware of that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this kind of stuff's been going on. So this, this leads a lot of people to think that maybe there's more going on at CERN than what we're being told. That they're they're trying to open gateways or something, which which seems kind of logical to me. So essentially, there's there's a lot of a lot of different things related to CERN with the, this particle collider in particular. And uh, the thing I I tend to equate to it is uh, I believe that CERN, in conjunction with the use of these uh, quantum computers, is causing something called the Mandela effect. Are, are you familiar with the Mandela effect? Very much so. Yes, I believe that there may be some experiments going on at CERN, whether they're sanctioned or unsanctioned, or whether they're part of some classified project or program, or whether it's just a joke or a psyop there that they're, they're pulling off on us. I, I believe that there is some kind of involvement there at CERN directly with this Mandela effect, and that they're, they're actually uh, monitoring what the public's response is to these changes. What they're doing is they're they're using these quantum computers in conjunction with the particle accelerators to uh, access some of these 
alternate realities, these alternate dimensions that Jordy Rose from D-Wave was talking about earlier, and extracting resources from them and pulling them into our universe. And I believe that's what's going on, and I believe that's what uh, explains some of the uh, some of the changes that people have seen in regards to this Mandela effect. Yeah, I think a lot of people attribute things to the Mandela effect that may not necessarily be true, but there are definitely a few things, especially folks who are older, 40s, 50s, you know, are noticing that, hey, that's not the way I remember this. And I'm I'm right. damn sure that's not the way things were, you know, regarding some particular situation. Right. I believe there's something more to it than people just misremembering something. What's well, too many? That, that's my bottom line on it. There's, there's, too, there's too many. And that's the thing. They are attributing things to it that may not necessarily be related to it as well. And I believe this is also a sort of psyop that they're they're using on us and engaging. They're watching the social media and stuff to see what, which ones people are talking about. And they're, they're gauging it that way. They're gauging the response. And I believe that this is just the beginning phases that they're trying to actually open larger gates into these parallel universes and let in whatever comes in. Like I said, I know it sounds kind of far out there, but the deeper you dig in a lot of this research, for things like this you find, and they're just the more clues point to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I understand what you're, where you're coming from. So, All right, what's the next alchemical technology? What's number three? All right. Well, the next one we're going to look at is uh, nanotechnology, nanotech. Now, this is a big one. Yeah, it is. Now, this one uh, actually overlaps with some of the other alchemical technologies that uh, I've identified. And I think let's go ahead and lay it on the table. First, I'll identify the rest of these alchemical technologies here, and we'll just list them out. Because they kind of, from this point on, they kind of all overlap together. So uh, it'll be easier to just talk about them all in conjunction with one another. So we'll just list them off rather than kind of list them out one at a time from here on out. So the first one we discussed is quantum computers and quantum system states. Uh, the second one is particle accelerators and super colliders. The third alchemical technology that we'll discuss is nanotechnology. The number four one, which ties right along with this nanotechnology, and we'll, we'll show you how here a little bit later, is computer brain interfaces and cybernetic technologies. The fifth one is genetic engineering, epigenetics, and life extension technology. Number six would be geoengineering programs and environmental modification. Uh, and the seventh one is robotics and autonomous artificial intelligence, which we've already touched on a little bit with the artificial intelligence. So, like I said, a lot of these uh, technology trees overlap in a lot of places. So, uh, I think we could just move forward here, having listed them off, and you'll see how they tie together as we go further in conversation here about it. Sure, and the technologies are probably, uh, some of them are dependent on the other as well, so. Precisely. Like I said, they kind of all interrelate and tie together. So uh, you'll, you'll see here uh, how they all kind of connect together, and they kind of are hard to separate from one another at this point. The one we'll discuss is nanotechnology. You can define nanotechnology as very, very small microscopic technologies, and they could do a lot more with this now than what you're generally told about in the public. With this nanotech, they could actually uh, perform a lot of different functions with nanotech. What they're hoping to achieve with nanotech is they want to do uh, these nanotech that are autonomous and self-assembling, like nanobots, to form networks and grids. And how they're going to use this in terms of the transhumanist factor is they're going to use these nano machines to form networks within people's bodies. And with this network, they'll be able to connect people to the internet, first of all. And second of all, they'll be able to enhance their genetic properties. They could make some of these machines tiny enough. They could actually uh, weave into DNA and alter your DNA in certain ways. They're really doing a lot with this. 
with this nanotech. They have the capacity with this to basically turn people into transhumans. Forcibly. Forcibly, yes. They could do it forcibly, and that's what they plan on doing. One of the keys to everything the elite does is something that I call uh, metaphysical consent. What the elite do is they function on a principle called metaphysical consent. And this principle basically states that they have to tell you what they want to do to you and let you know that they're doing it and have your consent in order to do it. Now, how they view your consent is if you don't oppose what they're saying or what they're telling you they're going to do, they see that as being your consent. And they use this principle for everything. It's a big mind control, social engineering thing. It's also uh, privy to magical rituals and things like that. It's something that they use. And I, I, I refer to it as metaphysical consent. It's it's why they put things out like in movies and stuff and tell you ahead of time what they're going to do. And in uh, conspiracy research circles, they call this predictive programming. Or uh, in the Illuminati circles, in the, the higher uh, realms of the adepts up at the top of the secret societies, they call this revelation of the method. And uh, there's some metaphysical concept there that they have to tell you what they're doing before they do it to you. Have you uh, encountered anything like that? Oh, certainly. Absolutely. That's I mentioned it multiple times on uh, again on the show I did with Crow today, in fact, because we were going through all these concepts of um, the surveillance state and, and all these revelations that come out about they're doing this to us and that to us. Well, what I what I would really think that they are, because all the major media is controlled, like the New York Times and all these media organizations, they're owned and operated. You know, we have the big six and all that. That's their way of saying to us, hey, this is what we're doing to you. And of course, nobody says, hey, no, 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 that's not okay. Right. I think that's that's why they're getting the consent. Yep, they view that as being your consent. If you don't object to it, they're going to go ahead and do it. Then they consider that as your consent. And that's why I call it metaphysical consent. It's, it's a principle that they use for everything. So uh, if you don't stand up and object and opt out of their system, they're just going to go ahead and, and proceed. That's That's just how they view things. And it's the same thing with this nanotech that we're talking about. They have multiple delivery systems that are now in place. And people think, uh, well, they're not going to do anything like that. They're not going to forcibly inject things into my body or anything. But what people don't realize is there's already multiple delivery systems that they have in place for this stuff. And they are putting it out there. This nanotech that they're putting out there is, like I said, it's a self-assembling, uh, semi-autonomous nanobots that will assemble in different webs or grids within people's bodies and merge with their biology. And the eventual thing is to actually interconnect them to uh, the Internet. And I think this is also where that 5G thing ties in, too, because here you're talking about the energy waves and stuff to do it as well as the, uh, the data speeds in order to interconnect people to this giant database. That's where they're going with that. And these delivery systems that they have are kind of insidious and people don't realize they're in place. The first one we'll talk about is chemtrails. Mm -hmm. Now, this one, people will deny till they're blue in the face that such a thing exists. But all you got to do is look up at the sky. OK, you're about at the same age as me, Jason. And I could tell you things were different when we were kids. You'd look up at the sky. The sky was different. It looks different now. It's totally different. It was blue and there's different clouds now. And that's readily admitted by the scientific community that there's new clouds, quote unquote. Yep, they just added a couple of different kinds uh, to, to their roster officially just a, a couple of years ago, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, quite a few, I think. Yeah, yeah, there was there was quite a few. And they're clouds that I've never seen growing up, you know, and it's it's just weird looking clouds where you know that they're they're not natural and people will still deny this. But sometimes these chemtrails leave debris behind. They're called chemtrail webs 
And people have actually picked up the material and the particulates from these webs that these uh, chem planes drop and have had them analyzed, and they find things in them that are just totally, totally disturbing. They find uh, elements like barium and aluminum oxides and, and all kinds of different things. They find fungi in there and blood cells in there, fetal bovine serum they've found in there in some cases, and one element in particular that I've done a lot of research and focus on, which is called niobium. This element, I think, is one of the keys to the, uh, the transhumanist uh, singularity, it's niobium because it's it's a relatively common mineral that's found it's it's relatively cheap compared to other types of minerals and it's inert in biological tissue so they could use it for implants and things like that and it your body doesn't reject it so this has been found in the chemtrails too and this is where i think the technology is going i've done a lot of research with the the niobium and they're using it in a lot of different compounds and this niobium it's a ferromagnetic metal. So, I mean, just that alone should be concerning that it's a ferromagnetic metal because they could actually activate it. They could activate like these tiny nanobots that are made of this material just by uh, changing the magnetic field and cause it to activate. So uh, it's if it activates and self-assembles, who knows what they're going to do. Yeah. So basically this this substance, your body will accept it, yet the substance is receptive to electromagnetic waves, so they could have it programmed in a certain way to respond when a certain pulse is shot at it. Precisely, precisely. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. You you worded that very well, so a little better than I did. But yeah, that that's essentially the whole science behind it. They already use this metal in a number of different things. Uh, first of all, they use it in steel production because it actually strengthens steel and makes it harder. They use it in conjunction with titanium a lot, too, for the same purposes. They use it in medical devices like implants, pacemakers, things like that, because it is inert in biological tissue, so they could do that. They use it in, actually, uh, spacecraft. They, they use this metal to build spacecraft because of its properties. They use it in particle accelerators. They use it in quantum computers. This metal has actually been used through every single facet of all of these alchemical technologies I, I've defined. It plays a role in it. In the quantum computers, this is actually the metal that the little chip is made of that the qubits are on that allows quantum processes to happen is with that metal with the niobium. It's, it's interesting. And like I said, it's the thing that uh, I think makes it the most feasible thing for use for the transhuman singularity is because it's relatively abundant and cheap. Hmm. Whereas compared to other uh, rare metals, rare earth minerals, uh, they're a lot more expensive and harder to come by. So this one is a cheap alternative. So in order to uh, make a lot of really cheap microcomputers, you need a cheap material. And this is their key. Bingo. All right. Let's go to the next one. How does that tie into the rest? Well, like I had stated earlier, they're using these quantum computers to try to create artificial intelligence. And I see artificial intelligence as the next major problem, I, I should say, coming up. Because uh, honestly, once they get this artificial intelligence uh, rolling, they don't know what it's going to do. Oh, they've already seen some of what it can do when they start communicating with each other in ways that humans can't understand and then they want to replicate. Yep. I call that dangerous myself. <laughs> That's the thing. It's a very dangerous thing. And now what their whole thought process is, is that if they actually merge with the computers, then they could control and direct the development of it. But what happens if the AI overpowers the human willpower? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. Dangerous. This also creates another possibility 
Now, uh, if you go back in a lot of ancient writings and back in Kabbalah, effectively, they talk about things like the Gullum and the homunculus, if you're familiar with both of those concepts. Yes. So when you're creating an artificial intelligence, this, this could be kind of related to the Gollum per se. You're, you're creating artificial life. Creating artificial life could have different problems. That's, that's one of their plans that they're doing is they're creating this artificial intelligence and they're going to have this artificial intelligence be a control grid, a control network. This artificial intelligence will oversee this whole control network. So uh, they're really kind of creating a dangerous problem there, I, I think. But they seem to think that they could maintain control of this by merging with it. And I see this as creating an even bigger problem because uh, when you're creating an artificial form of life that doesn't necessarily belong in our reality, I think there will be a backlash from Mother Nature. And that's kind of where I'm heading with a, a, a lot of this uh, research. I've looked back at the story uh, in the Bible of Genesis 6, if you're familiar with Genesis 6. Have you heard of the Genesis 6 experiment? It's, it's ringing some bells in my mind, but let's go ahead and explain it anyway. Well, basically, if you go into Genesis 6, it says in there that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were fair, and uh, they came down and, and mated with them. This is talking about the fallen angels, essentially, which, for terms we could put a little better, they're extra-dimensional beings that don't really belong in our reality. Right. And they've basically, they've combined themselves with men, with humans, and in so doing... They've created an abomination that doesn't belong in this world. And this abomination were referred to in the Bible as the Nephilim, and also uh, in the Book of Enoch and the, the Book of Giants, and there's, there's various other uh, different ancient texts and scripts that, that talk in depth about these beings. And these beings were, were half-human and half-angelic hybrids that didn't belong in this world. And as a result, this is what many uh, biblical scholars and stuff say, is the reason for the Great Flood in the Bible. As you can see, uh, nature had some backlash towards the artificial creations that don't belong here. And I'm thinking that may be the, the same direction that things may happen with this transhumanist uh, agenda. Right, so if they become gods in their own concept, they can override the will of the natural law. And that's what they plan on doing. They want to recreate reality in the image that they want. But as has been borne out uh, through the biblical accounts and the extra-biblical accounts, the last time they did this, it didn't work so well for them. So <laughs> it's, the, it's the same kind of a, a thing. Are, are, you, uh, are you drawing the wrath of God, per se, in, in doing this? And there's very real possibility that there, there could be some backlash to it. And they seem to be throwing all caution to the wind and proceeding anyway. And I think we need to be careful stepping forward with a lot of these technologies. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that they are absolutely moving forward with it. We see the uh, the 5G towers with those boxes, multiple boxes on the on the towers, just erected everywhere, and that's that's what those are. I've I've been looking into this. They're moving forward with this, and we may not be able to see the visibility of all the technologies that they've got in these laboratories, but we can certainly see those towers. Right, and that's definitely part of it. it does play in effect. When it comes down to it, though, in, in the end, when this whole transhumanist singularity takes place, what they plan on doing is they're going to merge everybody's consciousnesses into a hive mind, into one mind. So the New World Order essentially will be 
population one. <laughs> and you think about it, because uh, there's no room for individuality or individual thought or action in a, a hive mind. So uh, they're all going to be of uh, one mindset. And, and this ties back to uh, a lot of the ancient mystery schools, too, to the attainment of, uh, of the great work, the, the uh, Philosopher's Stone. This is basically uh, the ancient quest for people to become God, essentially. Right. That's what they're planning on trying to do, and they're going to try technology to do that. Now, in so doing, they're going to build different worlds, too, as well, that they could be gods over. But when it comes down to it, it's only going to be one consciousness that's going to be nothing like the individual consciousnesses, which it basically envelops into itself. Like I said, the New World Order, party one. That's what it is when it comes down to it. And this creates a whole separate set of, uh, of issues to think about. Well, it's, it's a concept of an absolute and perpetual control grid. That's the thing. I mean, they're trying to initiate a control grid right now. And what they hope to accomplish by it is they want to transcend and become God. And in so doing, there's no one individual person that's going to be head of this operation. It's, it's going to be, like I said, it's a melded group consciousness. So it's kind of a staggering thing to think about. There's only be one being left at the end of it all. And tell me, do you exist or not? <laughs> well, I, I like being myself. Yeah, it's it's not bad. Um, I definitely don't want to be part of a computerized hive mind uh, that's that's lorded over by some super ego. That's yeah, it sounds crazy, but I I know that this is what they're they're going for. And uh, the scary part is we don't know exactly how far along they may or may not be. This is true, and we also don't know necessarily what the spiritual ramifications of this will be. And this is where I lead into another direction of my research, into the spiritual aspect of things, where uh, this could be opening a gateway for entities to enter in and take over this whole transhumanist uh, singularity. You might be talking about extra-dimensional intelligences coming in through the channels created through this and kind of uh, manifesting themselves in the artificial intelligence and it's a scary thought to think about. Yeah, and uh, there really is no doubt that there is a spiritual aspect to real-world life because, well, first of all, the, the elite absolutely believe in it. Not just believe in it, but enact it every day with, with all the things they do. They, they have this all tied together. They know what they're doing, and they know what they're trying to accomplish with it. But I myself have had spiritual experiences. Uh, many people have. So th there's no doubt that there's something to it, and it seems like they may be playing with a fire that they, they don't know uh, just how much it might burn. Right. There you go. Playing with fire. They are the philosophers of fire. So they, they do tend to play with fire a lot. They do. And that's not necessarily a good thing. That's the whole thing in a nutshell is uh, the direction I think we may be heading with this is more of one where they're actually allowing access of this whole transhumanist agenda to be uh, hijacked by an extra-dimensional force or intelligence, and who knows what the motivations of that may be. So it's it's something we need to be weary of. I mean, you know, there's been our mythologies and religious texts and stuff of the past have all warned us against such things. Uh, the Gnostics referred to these intelligences as the Archons. Right. I think from what I could see, I think maybe it's a possibility that these Archons could already be inhabiting the uh, computer networks that we have in place. And when the artificial intelligence goes live, and I do have reason to believe some of it already has, there are autonomous artificial intelligences out there already operating 
that the spirit behind those intelligences may be these archons. I know it may sound a little ridiculous and stuff and way out there to a lot of people, but I, I assure you there's, there's definitely a real spiritual aspect to these things. And unless you have a spiritual experience of your own, you may deny that. A lot of people are more or less all about science, the, the whole concept of scientism. I think you guys have called it in the past. Yes, yeah. Where these people, they, they view science as their religion. You know what I mean? It's, it's their whole entire belief system. And it's not an all-encompassing system. I mean, science has its flaws. And uh, from what I could tell, science is the tool that the elite are using to invert the alchemical system that we do live in. So uh, they're, they're using it as a total inversion of natural law, and that's what they hope to accomplish through science. And that's what they're doing with this. They're trying to, uh, to cause a paradigm shift in our whole entire world and turn it into what they want it to be. And uh, they intend to do that in several different ways. What they're doing is uh, I have reason to believe they're using uh, – some of these technologies like the uh, particle accelerators in conjunction with the capabilities of the quantum computers to attempt to, uh, so, uh, quote, unquote, break the matrix. They're trying to break the, the world that we live in and uh, merge it with their own, which they're going to create uh, in the computer mainframe, essentially. It's going to be a, a virtual reality simulation world that they'll be able to upload their consciousnesses into, and they plan on merging these two realities together. So... Let's just try and tie this all together. If they were to bring all this to fruition and someone was looking at it from outside, what would we have? What would they be looking at? Well, what you'd be looking at is there will be consciousnesses of people existing in a virtual reality computer mainframe. And there will also be the outside physical world that we're in now, which will be inhabited by the transhumanists who are able to transfer their consciousnesses from this physical realm into these computer virtual realities that our consciousnesses will exist in at will. And they could switch back and forth. And they could rule over these, these simulated realities that they make. And they plan on trying to merge this physical reality with those and overlap in different ways so that they could come and go as they please and Basically, they could do anything that they want within any of these realities. And that's that's kind of what they have in mind. Yeah, yeah, I would think so. Now, just out of curiosity, do you have any idea how Saturn itself might actually tie into all of this? How Saturn might tie into all of this? Well, from what I could see, one of the major symbols that ties into Saturn is the cube, the black cube. Have you ever seen a picture of the uh, D-Wave adiabatic quantum computer? That was actually my next question. What does this thing look like? It's a giant black cube, Jason. A little ironic, huh? <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Because that's exactly where I was going with it, and I'm so glad you picked up on that. <laughs> so, there we have it. Uh, maybe Saturn is this construct already there, but it's uh, reaching back through time. Reverse causality. That's it's very possible. It may very well be. Uh, from what I, I've seen and, and some of the things I've researched on it, Saturn is essentially it's the operating system of this reality. And the transhumanists, the elites, are trying to hack that system and take it over. 
and merge it with their own system. It's food for thought. It's it's some deep stuff. And uh, I know a lot of it sounds ridiculous to your average person, but I assure you, the main point I got to get across to people is whether you believe any of this or not, there are people in positions of power that do. And what they do with this information will affect you. So you really have to understand that this stuff will affect you in one way or another, whether you believe it's true or not. Well, that's just it. The people with the money and the power, they do not just believe this, but they accept it. And this is what they are attempting to accomplish. And uh, we're pretty much at the top of the second hour here. How would you like to tie all this up? I think we kind of just said it, that the folks with the money and the power are the ones who are in control. They're the ones that want this to happen and they're pushing to make it happen. And, And we see it a little bit more every single day. Absolutely, we do. That pretty much sums it up. There's a select few families at the top of the power structure here, and they're the ones that are trying to bring this to fruition, because uh, even though they're the ones that are kind of in control of this world, they're also the ones that they take their marching orders from a higher power somewhere. And that's the thing. There's been talk in different circles of the nine unknown supervisors, and then above the nine unknown supervisors, there's uh, a group called the Seven, which are supposedly uh, supernatural or uh, extra-dimensional beings which uh, hand down orders to these people. And this all relates back to the whole secret society Illuminati research and stuff that I've done. The people at the top, it's a very small group, and they have a lot of things in mind. And I think what they want to do is they want to take total power for themselves from the seven. I didn't write any of that in my book, but essentially that's the spiritual aspect I come off of with this uh, away with from this research is this this is why this is the why they want to do this because even though they are mostly in control of this world right now they want more because anybody that has any amount of power always wants more power yeah that, that's no doubt well wayne this has been a fantastic two hours uh, I'm, I'm glad to have been the first person to do a show with you why don't we just quickly say who you are what your book is and where they can get it Okay, my name is Wayne McCroy. My book is called The Alchemical Tech Revolution. Uh, The subtitle is Fulfilling Ancient Esoteric Agendas Through the Use of High Technology. It's available through Amazon. It's available at Barnes & Noble. It's available at many other fine uh, book retailers. Uh, Just look it up online. I could be contacted at uh, alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com, or uh, I could also be contacted on my a new YouTube page I just put up, which is called Alchemical Tech Revolution. And I'm also available through Facebook on my page called Files from the Conspiratorium. So if anybody would like to get in touch with me, uh, feel free to do so through those channels. And I'd like to put out an invitation to other talk show hosts to please bring Wayne on. As you can hear, we had an amazing conversation, and I'm sure there's a lot more to discuss. So let's help this newest member of our community to get out there. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate everything. All right, man. It's been great. Thank you so much for being here. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks for everything once again, and I'll be in touch with you. This has been a lot of fun. A lot of deep conversation, too, but it's been a lot of fun. I hope I didn't come off sounding like too much of a schmuck. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that takes care of that, folks, and uh, we'll do this again, Wayne. All right. Thanks, Jason. Take care. 